0: Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for our time together so far this morning. And now as we open your word and continue uh, to learn about biblical grace, Father, help us to uh, not just understand it, but then, Lord, bring, bring very specific application. And, and Lord, uh, we know that, that grace is such a, a huge topic that, that in our times together, Lord, it feels like we're just scratching the surface, uh, but that's okay. So Lord, uh, as only you can do through the spirit of grace, through the word of grace, Lord, uh, help us to, uh, to know what, uh, what it means to live by grace, all for the glory of God. So we give you this time in Jesus' name. All God's people said? Amen. Amen. So uh, we have been looking at grace. Grace. An interesting word. I thought of it uh, as they were talking about Thanksgiving dinner. How many of you grew up saying Grace. Saying grace, right? How many of you know someone named Grace? Right? Right? So, so the challenge with, with looking at grace is that if you grew up saying it, you sort of like, you got this deeply entrenched sort of vibe that grace is about a prayer, something that you did. Or if you know someone named Grace, right? Usually a female name, Right? Maybe nicknamed Gracie, or right? So, you, so you have this. Okay, Grace is sort of like this prayer. Grace is a name, usually female. Uh, those two things don't really evoke strong sense of power and dynamic energy for life, do they? Right? It, it, it it's, it's challenging because. The familiarity with the word grace, and depending on your experiences with grace, there's a lot of things that that you're just gonna have to spend time really examining, because grace is so much more than just a prayer or even just a doctrine that we assent to. And then you throw in grace as ah, oh, that's kind of passive. I knew a grace; she was really nice, you know, kind of maybe meek and mild, and 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 you know, again. Biblically, when we look at grace, it's kind of the other end of the spectrum, right? So what is grace? What does it mean to live in grace? That's what we're going to continue looking at. A definition we've seen over the last several weeks is is grace in simple terms is God's unmerited favor and supernatural enablement and empowerment for salvation and for daily sanctification, right? Two elements of grace. Saving is grace. Sanctifying grace, right? I love this quote by uh, Bob Deffenbaugh. The principle of grace is as fundamental to Christianity as that of justice is to law or love is to marriage. Christianity cannot be understood apart from an adequate grasp of grace. The doctrine of grace distinguishes the Christian faith from every other religion in the world as well as from the cults. Rightly understood and applied, the doctrine of grace can revolutionize one's Christian life. See, even that quote, I think some of us are like, really? Because we tend to land, and if you even, you know, depending on your upbringing in church, grace tends to be salvation heavy. We're saved by grace. And then for the rest of our time on this planet, we do our best. That's it's honestly how a lot of us live. We have good intentions. We come to church. We read our Bible. We go to Tuesday night, Monday night. We serve. We give. We're doing our best. I was saved by grace. Now I do my best. Right? And if we don't understand that grace carries forward, you're missing it. We're missing it as a church. We're missing it just in our walk with Jesus. If you were here last week with Pastor Michael, he shared at the end of... Uh, right, Towards the end, this diagram with God at the center, right? God at the center. And then he talked about last week wisdom, understanding, knowledge, and then whole life, right? And I was thinking of that in terms of where we are with understanding grace, right? And so I modified it to look like this This is your life. Grace is the center. Now, God, but grace, talking about grace. Now, biblical faith, we saw before, has three elements, knowledge, assent, and trust. You have to know what the Bible says. At a certain level, you agree with what the Bible says. And then you have to just act on it. you got to do something with it. So grace, sanctifying grace, we're saved by grace, right? And then sanctifying, right? Grace has saving and sanctifying. There's three elements of biblical faith. And then, you know what? Grace should be central to every single area in your life. Every single area in your life goes all the way back to the grace of God. But if you don't understand it, if you don't understand and see grace as this dynamic power, this supernatural enabling power from God, well, then you're just going to come to church, agree that grace is a good thing, and then when you leave here, you're going to go back and you're going to do your best in your own effort. You're just going to do your best. A lot of Christians live in the world of good intentions because you're not living according to grace, grace, right? Star Wars fans, Star Wars fans, right? Right. I remember the first one back in the 70s, right? Right. What was the big thing in Star Wars? The force, the force. And whether or not you believed it, some people didn't even believe in the force. They thought it was superstition and magical and, and others did, the Jedis, right? But there was this force in Star Wars, and you got to be real careful with this, but I'm trying to get you to understand grace in different, in a diff, just in a different way. In Star Wars, there's this force that acts and can do things. Now, in Star Wars, it's people trying to harness the force and use it for their own ends, right? Depending if you're the good or the bad side. But there's this force, this supernatural force that, that impacts everyday life. Well, kind of, and be real careful with this, kind of biblical grace, is a, is, it's a God. It's a supernaturally empowering. It's a force. It's a dynamic force. Some theologians describe, describe grace as a supernatural God-given force in your life and in my life. Not for us to grab and manipulate for our own material gain and selfish gain. Quite, it's quite the opposite. Biblical grace, this dynamic force, is for us to receive by surrender. By yielding. And as God's grace flows in and through us, it touches every single part of our life. It's called walking in the Spirit. In fact, in Hebrews 10.29, the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of grace. You're like, well, how does this all kind of work? Well, the Bible tells us we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We're to walk in the Spirit, right? It's the Spirit of grace the Holy Spirit in us and us yielding and and walking under the Spirit's control where God's grace, his supernatural empowering is happening. Right? We've got to understand this. Otherwise, Otherwise, we sort of live these compartmentalized lives and we just get stuck in doing our best. And we just wonder why things just don't seem to change. Don't seem to change. K. Arthur describes it like this. Grace is more than unmerited favor. It is reality. Ponder that statement. It is reality. By grace you live. By grace you please God. And by grace you are freed from religion and released into a relationship with your heavenly father. Grace is always based on who he is and what he has done. Grace is never based on who you are apart from him on what you can do. It is reality. How many of us woke up this morning conscious of the reality of grace? God's grace for everything I'm going to do today as a believer. As we walk in the spirit. God's grace in us and through us. That's reality. That, that, That is our reality. That is the supernatural reality we profess to believe as Christians. That's why that earlier quote, this is what sets us apart. Other world religions, cults, it's works. It's legalism. You do your best and you hope at the end you kind of did enough, but you never really know. Christianity, God's grace for salvation, and then God's grace for sanctification, it's a supernatural thing. We believe, right now, if you're a believer, the Bible says you are indwelt. the holy spirit the third person of the trinity you are the temple of the holy spirit as you sit here that's reality that's our reality and then god's grace pouring in and through us his supernatural empowering that's our reality that is our reality and we have to really spend the time to, to go Lord, help me to get this, because it's so deeply ingrained that church is where we go and we leave and it's all about works, and it is about God's grace. This supernatural, supernatural. right? Think about this. Again, I'm going to say it again, because we have to get this. If you're a believer, the Bible says you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Right now, the third person of the Trinity indwells you right now what do you do with that seriously seriously think about that now for some is that is that sinks in you start to go just say what i think he said because it starts to sink in This is where we have to, this is why it's like we're not in a rush, because you, you have to really, really take the time, because this, is, this challenges your worldview, this challenges your view of yourself. this challenges your view of Christianity, right? So we looked at Apostle Paul. We've been looking at him in 1 Corinthians 15, he says this, "For I am the least of the apostles, and did not even desire to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the Church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Amen? Right? So we looked at that for a few weeks in terms of saving grace. That the Apostle Paul, the persecutor of the church, became the preacher. Throwing people in jail. Torturing them. Beating them up. Voting for them to die. meets Jesus. Is saved. And then, by faith, says By the grace of God, I am what I am. And for many of you, that was liberating because you carry baggage. Anyone here have a file called shoulda, woulda, coulda? Anyone have a file called guilt and shame of my past? Anybody have somebody or the enemy like to remind you of your past? Right? Right? What do you do with your past? How do you get rid of the, how do you let go of the, bag, the baggage, the luggage? How do you just take that step of freedom? The grace of God. By the grace of God. I am what I am. Crazy, right? Crazy good. Crazy good, right? We saw that the Apostle Paul, he didn't bury his past, he didn't, he didn't live in guilt and shame. What did he do? He embraced his past. Hey, I, I used to persecute the church. By the grace of God, I am what I am. He embraced who he was and all of its horrific things that he was doing. And he turned it into the testimony. You see, a lot of us, instead of guilt and shame for your past, if you're a believer, use your past to glorify God. Embrace it. You're forgiven. You're a new creation. The Bible says God remembers your sin no more. You're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Amen? So what do you do with that? Yeah, acknowledge. Yeah. I wasn't a real good person back then. But by the grace of God, I am what I am as I sit here today. As I sit here today, God's smiling at me because I'm clothed in the righteousness of Christ by the grace of God. Amen? Right? So we saw the power of grace in Paul's life for salvation, to be free from the past, to move forward into God's new venture for him. Right? But let's look at the verse again. So it says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And then it says, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. There's a transition. He says, hey, this is what I was. By the grace of God, I am who I am. And by the way, God's grace working in me wasn't in vain. There's some tremendous things that have happened in my life since then. How many of you right now can bear testimony that God has done some supernatural things in your life? Amen. But for the grace of God, you wouldn't even be here today. But for the grace of God, you'd be watching football. You'd be sleeping in. Right. But for the grace of God, some of you may not be on the planet. Right. So Paul says, hey, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And you know what? His grace wasn't in vain. There's some tremendous things that have happened in my life. And there's a key word in there. It says, the last one, but the grace of God that was with me. Everyone say with. With. There's two withs in the Bible. One with is meta. So there's a with right here. Oh, yeah, I was at church with my friends. That's among. That's meta. So with is among. Right? So we're with each other right now. We're among. The word here when it says with is pronounced soon, S-U-N. Soon means union. So he says, the grace of God that I was in union with. Here's the difference. Any cooks, bakers in here? Right? So if you're going to bake something. You lay out all the ingredients on the counter. Right? So the ingredients are with each other. As soon as you put it in, now they're with each other, but in union, inseparable. See the difference? So the Apostle Paul says, you know what? By the grace of God, I am what I am, and I am in union with God, inseparable. We're all mixed up in here. Holy Spirit in me, do an incredible thing. That's sanctifying grace. That's grace moving forward, right? And I love that because, again, it gets personal. It gets personal really quickly because it's us working with God. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out, not work for, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work out is like a math problem. You work it out to completion. Right. Work it out to the end. OK, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according in order to fulfill his good purpose. So it's, it's there's cooperative effort. We do our part. We work out, exercise yourself unto godliness. But it's God changing our desires. It's God, the Holy Spirit and God's grace changing, changing us. How many of you enjoy reading your Bible? Where did that desire come from? Right? How many of you enjoy coming to church? Where did that come from? Not you. <laughs> Thank you, right? <laughs> See, we, we overlook these things. It's God who works in you to will, to want to, and empowers you to do it. You got up and you came. You were, it's cooperative. You had to make choices and everything. But inwardly, through God's grace, he's changing your desires, and he's giving you new desires, and he's supernaturally empowering you. That's this crazy thing called Christianity. That's when it becomes joyful. That when it, that's when there's life, right? That's when it's like, oh, my gosh, really? That's awesome. Warren Wiersbe says this, to live by God's grace means to depend on him to enable us. We aren't striving in our own power to do something for him. Rather, he's working in and through us to accomplish the good pleasure of his will. It's the difference between legalism and life. Life. You ever been in a relationship and you just wanted to love and bless the other person? Anyone? Right. You just want to. Right? Yeah, see, everyone's taking, yeah, see, that's me, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You ever been in a relationship where you felt like you couldn't please the other person? Okay, don't raise your hand if you're sitting next to it right now. Right? Life versus legalism. When you understand God's grace, you want to glorify God. You want to please God out of love for him. That's the power of God's grace and freedom. In freedom in every area of your life, you want to handle your money well. You want to have wonderful relationships with your spouse, with every kid. You want to do well in school. Shocker, right? I went, ooh, right? For the glory of God. You want to honor God at your workplace. It becomes life. Every area of your life now is about honoring and glorifying and loving God in every area. That's all coming from his grace. That's all coming from his grace. We're going to look this week and next week at, I think, two real foundational principles and even challenges to walking in God's grace. Right? 2 Corinthians 12, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 2 Corinthians 12. And I'm going to set the context, and then we're going to look at key verses. In 2 Corinthians 12, verses 1 through 7, the Apostle Paul is answering his critics. In chapter 11 and into chapter 12, he is facing pretty, pretty strong opposition to his ministry and to his apostleship, okay? So in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 1 through 7, the apostle Paul kind of lays it out. He says, hey, let me share something with you guys to kind of prove my apostleship. And in 1 through 7, he talks about this revelation that he received 14 years ago. And in this revelation, he says he was caught up to the third heaven and he saw these incredible things and he couldn't speak about them, right? So in the context of 2 Corinthians 12, 1 through 7, the Apostle Paul shares this incredible revelation of being caught up to the third heaven, right? Supernatural occurrence, right? And then look what he says in verse 7. We'll pick up there. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Verse 7, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away. So he has this incredible revelation. He says, hey, you know what? God had to keep me in check. God had to keep me in check. So there was this thorn, and he says given. He understands it was given to him. Thorn is not a little rosebush thorn. Thorn means a stake, like a railroad stake. And it says, I was given this thorn, this railroad stake, and torment means punched. So I was tormented. I was being beat by this. They call it a messenger of Satan. He was tormented. It was this incredible, ongoing Brutal persecution in his life. The Bible does not say what it was. There's a lot of conjecture, right? So he has this ongoing hardship, this ongoing trial, this thing that's just beating him up, this (laughs) stake, And kind of like the rest of us, he prayed. Anyone ever have anything in your life that's so big, you're just like, I got to pray about this one. This is way beyond me. The Bible says he prays three times that it would be taken away, removed. How many of you would pray pretty much the same thing? right? We understand that. This thing's so big. I'm tormented. It's not going away. It it hurts. I don't like it. Lord, please take it away. Please take it away. Please take it away. Right? Verse 9. He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Interesting. Lord, take this away. Please take this away. Please take this away. Nope. Instead, God gives him a promise. God speaks truth to him. He doesn't remove the thorn. He gives them a promise. He gives them a truth. What does he say? My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Anyone would have been thrilled with that here? Like, what? Lord, don't you see? This person at work. This person in my life, this situation, this illness, this, this thing, all I asked was for you to take it away. Transfer her to another department. Do, do something, right? Whatever. How many of you have been creative in how God should answer your prayer to remove something? Right? Don't hurt them too bad. Just kind of move them. Just, right? It's funny when we get that way, right? God doesn't do that. In fact, he just says, my grace is sufficient. My power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul and us, we're, we're left with what? I'm not sure I understand how that applies to what I asked you to do, God. That's a help. Because we, he wanted immediate. Take it away. Take it away. Take it away. And God's answer may not have been seen as an immediate resolution to the way Paul wanted it resolved, right? So what did, what did what did he mean when he says my grace is sufficient? Well, it's interesting because actually where he says my grace is sufficient for you, actually if you look in the Greek, the word order is really important for here for for us to understand. Instead of my grace is is sufficient for you, in the Greek it says sufficient for you my grace. Kind of sounds like Yoda, right? Word order. He flips it. So in the Greek it says, but he said to me, sufficient for you, my grace. He starts with sufficient because that's a priority. Sufficient for you, my grace. Now when it says he said, it means he said it and it still stands. Right? Any of you parents ever say something to your kid and they come about an hour later asking if you changed your mind? And what do you say? <laughs> still stands. Right? Still stands. Nothing has changed. He said to me, and it, hasn't st- it still stands, it hasn't changed. Sufficient for you is my grace. That little word is credibly important because it makes it present tense for you and for me. It's not, Lord, please, I hope your grace is sufficient. Sometimes we pray that, right? Lord, I I, I just pray your grace is sufficient. You can't pray that according to this, because it is. Instead of asking for it to be sufficient, you thank him that it's sufficient. Radical difference. Oh, Lord, I pray your grace is sufficient. I pray your grace is sufficient. He told you it is. Nothing has changed. So you're saying, Lord, thank you, your grace is sufficient. Thank you. You see the difference? Suddenly you're living present tense. You're dealing with reality, with the reality of Scripture. It becomes real real quick, right? It's a promise. It's a promise. And then when it says sufficient, two real important parts of sufficiency here, guys. One is it's enough in quality and quantity for every need. Second part is sufficient. It's an attitude on the recipient's part that I'm going to be satisfied and content. I'm going to be satisfied and content. He said it's sufficient to meet my every need. Okay, I'm satisfied with that. I don't need to go searching for more. I don't need to add on to God's provision. I'm content and I'm satisfied that what he's going to provide is all I need. See, sometimes we pray, God gives the answer and we're still we're still Sometimes you got to trust. You just got to rest. I said it's sufficient. Be content with that. Rest in my sufficiency. Why are you still riled up? I told you, right? Any of that any any parents here ever have your kid want something want something and you told them you were going to take care of it? And you would hope that that would just resolve it? Like they would be like, "Okay, mom and dad, they got it." but they keep coming back. Are you sure? Are you sure it's enough? Well, what about this? And you're like, dude, really? I told you, I got it. I'm going to take care of all your needs. We got it. It's fine. We got it. And I think sometimes God the Father looks at us and wants us to say, relax, I got it. I'm giving you everything you need. Everything you need. Just be content with that. Just settle down. I got it. I got it. Right? I'm gonna give you everything you need. Right? His power. That word dunamis, it's where we get the word dynamic. We talked about it's 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 power, it's supernatural power, it's a force, it's energizing. His power, it's also related to the word dynamite, his intrinsic power. His power works best in our weakness. And that's, that's the biggest challenge for us, I believe, here, what we're going to focus on. Because see, Paul had a thorn, a stake. That was a painful situation. He asked God to remove it three times. And God said, no, I'm going to give you my resources that are going to be manifested best. In your weakness and that's a challenge for us today how do you deal with your weakness and my weakness what do we do when we're brought to the end of ourselves by circumstances by people by things out of our control that just don't seem to want to go away and you realize you're not God And you realize you can't fix it. And you're literally, in this situation, weak. Unable. That's what weakness means. Without strength, incapacity, or limited capacity to do something. How do you do that? How do you process weakness? David Guzik says this. We really don't believe God's grace is sufficient until we believe we are insufficient. For many of us, especially in American culture, this is a huge obstacle. We are the people who idolize the self-made man or woman and want to rely on ourselves. But we can't receive God's strength until we know our weakness. We can't receive the sufficiency of God's grace until we know our own insufficiency. But so how do you handle weakness? In your life, in a culture that frowns on weakness. Raised all. Oh, come on, man. Get your act together. What are they going to think about you? Right? Some of us, when it comes to our weakness being exposed, being brought to the end of ourselves, we. We experience shame, guilt, embarrassment, denial, fear. We withdraw. Suddenly we procrastinate on things because we don't want to be found out. We avoid things. Or we go the other way. We become angry. We become overly aggressive. Our pride rears up. We become really self-reliant. Or we just grin and bear it. What are we doing? We're trying to avoid being confronted and accepting our weakness. Our weakness. How many of have ever been in a job interview where they ask the dreaded question? So um, share with me your weaknesses. The dreaded job interview question. We have no problem going with the strengths. So what are some of your strengths? Oh, blah, blah, blah. Okay, great. Thank you. So what are your weaknesses? Right. What are your weak? We that that that's a hard question. Right. Oh, man. Right. And so it's so funny because we panic and we go into fear mode and, it, and, and avoidance. And it's crazy because a lot of, for many years, people were tried and were trained to try to disguise a strength as a weakness in a job interview. Well, tell me about one of your weaknesses. Well, you know, one of my weaknesses is that I'm a perfectionist and everything has to be highly organized. <laughs> Another one of my weaknesses is I just always have to be on time. And I just work really hard, even if I don't get paid for it. I know, it's a weakness. Why do they do that? They're panicking. They don't want to look bad. They don't want to miss the job opportunity. What's really interesting in those situations, the interviewer is not so much listening to what you say, it's how you say it. They're looking for honesty and authenticity. They just want to know if you're going to come clean. But this idea of coming clean with weaknesses, it's terrifying. It's terrifying. And here's the thing, guys. This cultural challenge with weakness and displaying weakness, admitting weakness, it seeped into the church. See, we don't do weakness really well in the church. We just don't. In fact, the problem and the challenge for me as a pastor at the well at 1290 Grand with this big move and how beautiful it looks in here is that it looks really beautiful in here. And everything's in rows and we vacuum and it's not dirty, right? And so everything's pristine in here intentionally. No cobwebs, right? Well, sort of, right? You know what I mean? But it looks so good. The the people out here blowing leaves so the park, even the cars don't have to go on leaves. The parking lot looks really good. So here's the challenge with the church today. Everything, you come here once a week, once a week, maybe twice. Everything looks so good every time you come here. Looks so good. And then we gather on Sundays and everyone pretty much cleaned themselves up. Okay, thank you for your honor, Very much. <laughs> but we put on our Sunday. We look good. And then, we want to get real. And it's like, what's really going on in your life? What's, what's, what are you struggling <laughs> with? What's going, what? Yeah, you don't have to answer that. But that look of... <laughs> But his look is the same. like, (laughs) what's the challenge? In the church, everything is so clean and pristine and all the rows are just so that no one here wants to share the dirt in your life. No one wants to share your dirty laundry. No one wants to share the messiness of your weaknesses. Because every time you come here, everything is clean. The reality is life is not a bunch of rows and clean. Amen. How many of you would dread if I showed up at your house after service? Because it's just not ready. Oh, Oh, yeah. We have an oh, yeah, right? It's crazy, right? We have this life. Someone knocks at the door. Oh, my gosh. Why are they here? How many of you have the closet where everything goes in when the surprise visitor shows up? Hurry up. See, the beauty with having five kids, we can do that and it happens this quick. <laughs> just like, oh my gosh, someone's walking up. Five young bodies are like, chow, 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 chow. come on in. Yeah, this is how we live all the time. It has seeped into the church. So then we have men's group. It's all clean and nice, Sunday morning. The men come Sunday and sit in a very clean, how many of you like the commons with the nice furniture? It's all clean. So the men come on Sunday night, and they sit. And in this beautiful, pristine environment, Bill and Tyler say, men, share your dirty laundry. (laughs) You start. (laughs) It has seeped into the church. This, this idea of, of authentically sharing our weaknesses, and we're so bound up because we do church so well. And even in the church, where we're supposed to accept one another, love one another, bear each other's burdens, confess our sins to one another, we are terrified of what you think about me, if you really knew. You're sitting here terrified if somebody in this room really knew. You're more terrified of what they think about you than what God might. It's a fear of man. It's a fear of being judged. It's a fear of being real and exposure. Right? And I think that that's what God is saying to Paul in this. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Paul, are you ready? Are you willing to come clean? It's like that, that, that song, Stained Glass Masquerade, that came out years ago. It's a story about someone visiting a church and looking at all the church people. And it goes like this. Is there anyone that fails? Is there anyone that falls? Am I the only one in church today feeling so small? Because when I take a look around, everybody seems so strong. I know they'll soon discover that I don't belong So I tuck it all away, like everything's okay. If I make them all believe it, maybe I'll believe it too. So with a painted grin, I'll play the part again. So everyone will see me the way that I see them. Are we happy plastic people, under shiny plastic steeples, with walls around our weakness and smiles that hide our pain? But the invitation's open. To every heart that's been broken, maybe then we'll close the curtain on our stained glass masquerade. Is that what this is? Is that what this is? This stained glass masquerade, we show up, it's all all good. Because we're deathly afraid of revealing and confronting our own weaknesses and then sharing them. And then sharing them. And I'm going to share this with you, and I want you to take this the right way because, you know, there's. The, I talked about the dreaded interview question: share your weakness. You know how that manifests itself in the church. Here's the dreaded church question. So, uh, got any prayer requests? <laughs> how can I pray for you? Because what we do is we panic. Even when someone is genuinely asking you to a prayer request for you because they genuinely will pray for you, we're so fearful of asking for a prayer request that would reveal a weakness, a struggle, a failure, that we ask for a prayer request for Aunt Sally. Not you, Sally, but Aunt Sally, who lives in Cucamonga. We deflect it. The church has been so consumed with fear and inability to share weaknesses, we can't even ask for prayer for ourselves. Because we're afraid of what you're going to think about me if I really ask you to pray for me because I really blew it. I blew up with my wife today. Can you pray? Me and my kid, were not doing well. Can you pray for me? That temptation, yeah, I gave into it. That habit, yeah, I I, I did it again. We cannot even share genuine weaknesses in the church anymore. And yet, what did God say to Paul? My power is made perfect in what? Weakness. And we wonder where the life of the church is. We gather in a stained glass masquerade and we're so bound up in pride and what man thinks about us that God can't even manifest his grace. Because we don't need him. Because none of us want to admit that we're weak and needy. Needy. See? Some of you have a hard time in here because other people are needy. Other people need help. Other people need prayer. Come on, man. Who needs prayer, honestly, in here? Just come clean. Because if you don't, then you need prayer for lying. Should have come clean when I gave you a chance. Just, it, it Come on, man. I mean, <laughs> Paul, Paul has this transformation. What does he say in verse 10? Let's read again. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in Therefore, okay, Paul has a change of mind. He's transformed. His mind is renewed. His mind is renewed. He says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, So that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. How many of you are ready to boast in your weakness at small group? How many are ready to say, I delight in that hardship I'm going through? I I delight in this. Some versions say, I take pleasure. What does he mean? He's not in some weird masochist that I take pleasure. What he's saying is this. The hardships, the trials, the suffering, the torment I'm facing, I boast in them. I delight in them because of what God is doing in me and that he gets the glory. When people see his grace and his power in my weakness through this, I delight that it's all about him. I delight that there's no explanation but for the grace of God. That's what he's talking about. I boast in my weakness. What does that mean? Because when I'm weak and I come to the end of myself and and I start to be transformed and I see it differently, it bears witness to the supernatural God that I love. The circumstance didn't change. I changed. God, see... The Apostle Paul prayed three times for what I call subtraction. And that's what we often do, don't we? Lord, take it away. Take it away. Take it away. That's what, how many of us, we often do that. Something comes up in our life and it, we, we, we pray the prayer of subtraction remove it. And God's like, no. Your transformation comes from addition, my grace. Added to your situation. See? And in that, there's transformation. Paul was right to pray. He was just praying for the wrong thing. And maybe some of us are going through something right now. And the focus of your prayer has kind of been off. You've been asking God to subtract and remove instead of saying, God, I need you to add your grace. I need your supernatural power because I'm at the end of myself. I'm waving the white flag called weakness. And I need you to add your grace to this situation. If you do that and if you live in that, God gets the glory in your life. Because then people will say, how do you deal with that? How how are you so gracious to that person who's so mean to you? How do you deal with that situation that's out of your control? And you're just like, it's the grace of God. And he gets all the glory over and over and over again when we stop praying for subtraction and start praying for addition. God's grace added to it. Radically change your whole perspective on life. Radically change it. Because a lot of us, we still live in fear. We still live in fear and we're still in bondage. I wonder how many of us, honestly, are stuck. Stuck in relationships, stuck in habits, stuck in sin feel stuck as a believer because you're unwilling to share your weakness so you just gear up and you do it in your flesh with the best of intentions you might be successful for a while but I wonder how many of us would experience true freedom if we risked sharing our weakness with a brother or sister in Christ and asking for real prayer here's the thing If someone comes to you, Raymond comes to me, and shares something in his life, the Bible says that grace is not a license to sin. So if he shares something with me, I'm not just going to say, oh, okay. I'm going to speak the truth in love to him because I love him. I'm going to share with the Bible. We're going to look together what the Bible says about this issue. And if he's in sin, I'm going to call him out on it biblically. That's what a loving brother does, right? But if I do it with compassion and grace... He's receiving God's grace through me and how I handle it. Because many people in here, you're afraid to share a genuine weakness in your life because you're afraid of this. Either from him or for someone here. Sunday night is only for men who have it all together, Raymond. <laughs> Tuesday's night's for the ones that are really out there. Just kidding. All all the Tuesday nighters were like, what's he talking about? We're the ones that really got it together. Them Sunday night guys, woo! right? It's crazy. We get all tied up and we're so consumed with what people think about us that we're bound up. And the church has not done this well. Honestly. People come to us wounded. Someone shares something with you and, and the church has been... Not a place of grace and compassion, but quite honestly a place of judgment and harshness. But let me be clear. Grace is not a license to sin, but we will speak the truth in love. And if you come to a leadership person here in this church and you share something, we're going to listen and we're going to extend God's grace to you. We're going to extend God's grace to you. We're going to still speak the truth according to the Bible, but the Bible says there is therefore now no condemnation. To those who are in Christ Jesus. So, we're not going to come at you with condemnation, but we're going to speak the truth in grace and love. Amen? That's what we do. That's what we do. And we'll close with these two verses 1 Corinthians 2 1 through 5. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. Remember, we're talking about his weakness. When I first came to you, dear brothers and sisters, I didn't use lofty words and impress wisdom to tell you God's secret plan. For I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. What it mattered most to Paul? Jesus Christ. I came to you in what? In what? This is the Apostle Paul. I came to you in weakness, timid and trembling. and my message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. I did this so you would trust not in human wisdom, but in the power of God. You know what? I read that today. The Apostle Paul would not have been hired on many church staffs. He's not a good preacher. Some of you, if the Apostle Paul, according to this, if the Apostle Paul showed up on a Sunday when you were visiting and you heard him speak, you wouldn't come back. You thought he's boring. Timid and trembling, message and preaching were very plain, didn't use clever and persuasive speeches, didn't have 72 inch screens, didn't have PowerPoint, didn't show diagrams, not even video moments. He was boring. He couldn't even talk well. This is the Apostle Paul. Some of you here wouldn't come back because he's boring. See how it seeped in? <laughs> it's crazy. The Apostle Paul would not have been hired on many church staffs to preach on Sunday. He's not dynamic. He doesn't entertain them. Right? He doesn't give good illustrations. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul? Sorry, Apostle Paul. You don't make the cut at this church. It's crazy. But you know what's more crazy? We're like that. Because we show up and we compare ourselves here. I can't go to that group. I can't go to Tuesday night. I'm just me. I don't I don't know enough. And I, uh, I'm, uh, I'm just... Uh. A lot of you have that... Uh, as, a, as a Christian. Could you compare yourself? I could never be like... I could never be like... I'm not like... And the Apostle Paul, I love it. I couldn't even speak well. I wish they had a recording of the Apostle Paul. Because he wouldn't make the cut in 20... 20- 18 for many churches sorry dude you're boring you're boring you can't even speak well but then look what he says about us 1 corinthians 1 remember dear brothers and sisters that few of you were wise in the world's eyes it's talking about us or powerful or wealthy when god called you instead god chose the things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise and he chose things that were powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world. Things counted as nothing at all and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. Isn't that freeing? He says, hey, God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God uses the weak to confound the powerful. Who's he talking about? Who's the foolish and who's the weak? Okay, if you're really comfortable with this, do this. That's who he's talking about. We're the foolish, we're the weak, and God chooses us to confound the world who thinks it's all about power and status and having it all together. I love this. This, to me, is liberating. Paul is a horrible preacher Was liberating. This is, um, this is liberating. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. Look, the Bible right there says, the reason he called you was that he gets all the glory. Amen? So let's stop trying to be something we're not. Let's stop knocking, walking around in bondage to what so-and-so thinks about me if I share a real prayer request that me and my wife had a knockdown dragout right before church. Because so-and-so might just look at it and go, you too? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're all saved by grace. I encourage you, I I just implore you in what we're seeing. God says his grace is sufficient. Is, present tense. God says his power is made perfect in your weakness. Are you willing to trust that? Are you truly willing, first and foremost, to say, God, okay, you got me. I'm weak. And I'm needy. And then are you willing, in the right circumstance with the right person, are you really willing to go to someone and share a weakness? Share a weakness. Maybe for the first time in your church life, Share an honest prayer request for you for the first time in your life. Don't deflect it to Aunt Sally and Uncle whoever. Next time someone asks you, if you're in small group or one-on-one, how can I pray for you? Have the courage to come clean with a genuine request. And see what God does. And maybe some here have been praying for subtraction, and you need to flip that, and you need to pray for addition. Maybe you need to start praying for God's grace in the situation you're facing, in your weakness. John MacArthur says this, When we are least effective in our human strength and have only God's power to sustain us, then we are suitable channels through which his power flows. And so we should praise God for adversity because that's when his power is most evident in our lives. Here it is. There is no one too weak to be powerful, but there are many too strong. Are you too strong in your own strength right now? If you admit your weakness, God says his power is going to come and rest on you. But the problem is there are many... Too strong. You're self-reliant. I got it. And have a time of prayer and reflection. It's a time for you to talk to God where you're at in in this issue of receiving his grace in your weakness. This issue of praying for him to add his grace and not to subtract the thorn necessarily. This issue of trusting in his sufficiency, that really he will meet all of your needs. Are you satisfied and content in that? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word, and it's challenging in this culture. Boy, oh boy, is it challenging in this American culture this idea of weakness and neediness. And, and being honest with our struggles. And then it just seeped into the church. To where we're so bound up with what man will think of us. We can't even share a genuine prayer request. We can't even share a genuine prayer request for our own weakness and needs. The Lord, I'm asking you to set us free this morning. I'm asking you to do what only you can do. In pouring out your grace. Your power. Your love. To those in this room who have been so bound up, so unable to walk in the freedom of your grace in the midst of their weakness. So we're going to listen to a song for a bit and just give you a chance to have time with God. The song's called, Lord, I Need You. In Matthew 26, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane about to experience tremendous suffering and, and really carrying the sin of the world on him and the wrath of God. And it's very interesting because he says, Father, if there's any way, take this cup. In his humanity, he has a prayer of subtraction. Father, please. I am so overwhelmed at what I'm about to go through. If there's any way, would you take this from me? So he gets it. He understands when you're at the end of yourself and you're like, this is so overwhelming. Father, can you please take this from me? But then he continues, he says, nevertheless. Not my will, but your will be done. And I just share with you this morning, if you're at that place and you're like, Father, please. This time of communion can be a time where you're like, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. What was he doing? He was acknowledging trust and submission and faith in his Father's will. And so maybe this morning you don't understand why it's happening. You don't understand even how it's going to play out. But by faith, you're going to say, Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And Father, I'm going to pray the prayer of addition. Into this, would you bring your grace. Into this, will you manifest your power in my weakness. All for the glory of God. All for the glory of God. We're going to open up the communion tables. I encourage you to come forward today recognizing your weakness. Desiring the grace of God to be manifested, his power to rest on you in that very weakness.